0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning, Grace, and Merry Christmas to you. Uh, for those of you I haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Sean Rowley, I'm one of the elders and one of the preachers here at Grace, and uh, I just want to say welcome. It is great to have you here. If you're joining us online, listening online, I want to say welcome to you as well. We're glad to have you join us. And also I want to have a special welcome to our students they are actually watching a live stream upstairs right now. So, hey guys, I hope you're behaving up there. I know it's tough. Um <clears throat> I'm excited about the, the series that we're in. I'm excited to be up here preaching again. I haven't preached for a really long time um, here at Grace, and uh, that's been for various reasons. I'll talk about them a little bit later, but, um, but I just wanna say I am excited to be here with you this morning, and Grace, I'm back. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. A few weeks ago, we started our Christmas series. Uh, we looked at the guy Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, and this was a guy who we don't actually know that much about him, because the scripture doesn't tell us that much about him specifically, but we know that he was a faithful and incredibly good man. And so it was fun to kind of look at the story through, through Joseph's lens. The week after that, we took a look at Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin, and she was this older woman who hadn't had kids and... Wasn't able to, didn't seem to be able to have kids. That is until God intervened in her life and caused her to be able to come get to, to be able to get pregnant. And so she had a baby, John the Baptist, the forerunner for our Messiah. And then last week we took a look at this woman, Mary. Incredible to think about Mary's faith. Incredible to think about the, uh, just what a wonderful and incredible young woman that she was. And in spite of her fear, um, she didn't yield to it, and she decided to move out in faith and trust the Lord. and it was it was incredible to look at her her life. And today we're going to look at uh, the wise men, as we know. Um, this is a familiar story to lots of us. Um, and we're going to take a look at the story. We're going to look at this this trip that the the wise men were on, and we're going to take a look at some of the things that they saw. What did they look at? What did they see there, and then what that might mean for for our lives. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today, starting in verse 1. We'll work through verse 12. We'll jump around a a little bit, but not too much, to a couple other texts. So if you have your Bibles or your tablets or your phones, go ahead and turn there now. And I will pray, and then we'll get into today's word. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, I am excited to be here. I'm excited about Christmas time. I'm excited to be here with my church family. Thank you. Uh, for that Lord I pray that God your Holy Spirit would begin to work um, as I know you already have been working Lord I pray you continue to work now uh, in our hearts in our lives and Father I pray that uh, for everybody in the room everybody listening online our students upstairs Father I pray that God your spirit would move that God that there would be something about this morning about this time with you that would change something in us that God we would know you better we would see you clearer and Father, I pray that, that uh, Father, you would just do your work through me now. Thank you for the opportunity to do it, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi, that's wise men, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And then they quote from the the prophet Micah, verse five, it says, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right, so these guys are on this road trip. Let's take a look at some of the things they saw. And the first thing that I think that they saw was God controlling creation to bring people Um, to himself. We see this in in the very first part of this chapter. Verse one, it says, Magi uh, came from the east to Jerusalem. This was a people group that was not part of God's uh, chosen people. And so what we see here is these people who live in this land in the east, we don't know exactly where it was, but they're drawn to worship uh, the Messiah. And it says here, we saw his star um, when it rose. What we ultimately see, like I said, is God controlling creation, that is using these stars to bring people to himself. And I don't know, there's a lot of debate about what this star actually looked like. I don't know if it was a couple of different planetary bodies that came together and made a a, a abnormally intensely bright star, I really don't know what it was. But whatever it was, God was in control. He was actively working to bring um, people to himself. In the beginning of Genesis, it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. One of the things that he created inside of the heavens, that is the sky, is stars. And a lot of us here live uh, in the city or in suburbs, and so I know in my neighborhood there's street lights, and so it's actually kind of hard to see the stars. But up on top of the hill in our neighborhood, there is a, um, they call it a park, it's just a field, um, but city park. So we, we go up there sometimes at night, um, especially in the, in the summertime when it's warm out, and man, when you look up at these stars, it is unbelievable how many stars there are there. It, it blows me away thinking about it, and it makes me think of uh, the prophet Isaiah. Look what he says about the stars. In Isaiah 40 26 he says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, who created all of these? It's he who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each by name. Can you imagine, God is so powerful, he is so big and majestic and so other than we are that he can literally call out stars one by one by one which seems like it would take an eternity but he has an eternity. And he calls them all um, by name, and it just, it blows me away. It makes me think about in Romans 1, where Paul is talking about, um, and I'll paraphrase what Paul says, but basically he says that ever since the beginning of creation, God has been displaying his glory for humanity. It's been um, evidence there, it tells us some things about who God is and what he's like just by looking at creation. And so, uh, my question for you this morning is, is, are you noticing God inside of the creation around you? In some of the rainstorms we've had this weekend, they've just been pouring rain and driving wind. Does it make you think about God when you think about and when you hear the rain on your roof? Think about all of the places you've gone in your life. Some of you have traveled to different places incredible tropical beaches, blue, blue waters, mountains, forests, streams, animals. Think of all of the things that you've seen in life. Does it make you think about God? And what about our own bodies? Um, I'm a middle-aged man, I don't have any glory days to look back on, because I was never one of those chiseled guys, although I really wish I was. But think about your body for a second. Like when you go to sleep tonight, none of you is gonna have to think, make sure my heart stays beating. You don't have to think about the fact that the, the breath is gonna continue to fill your lungs. It just happens. That and millions and millions of other things that happen to sustain your life that God created and put inside of your body, these are incredible machines here that God made. Does it, does it make you marvel at the creator of those things? It should. In the Facebook sermon uh, preview video, I mentioned this uh, vacation that my family and I took when, uh, back in 2008, we went to Yellowstone. But another vacation that we took uh, was to Disneyland. Who loves Disneyland? Who hates Disneyland? Anybody? Yeah, a few. Uh, I love, I mean, love Disneyland uh, for like three and a half to four days, and then I'm kind of over it. Um, I'm over the crowds and everything. I love paying $9 for a churro. I love the whole thing. <laughs> um, but we went to Disneyland a, a couple of times as a family, and the first time that we went, we were um, going to watch the, the fireworks show. And so we found a good spot in the park, and uh, planned the time and we're there and it's getting dark. And as the, the fireworks show, those of you that have been there and seen it, you know what I'm talking about. As the fireworks show starts, I think that there's like an announcer voice that comes on. But then this music starts in. And the fireworks are like no other fireworks show you have ever seen in your life because they are perfectly choreographed to the music. It's unbelievable. Not only that, but there you are in the happiest place on earth, um, smelling the great smells and hearing the great sounds, and everybody's happy, and honestly, it is an incredible experience. And I remember standing there, and I remember thinking to myself, my gosh, the people that made this are so incredibly creative and smart. And then the next thought I had was, but what about the one who made those people? Friends, that's how it should be for us when we think about creation. God is doing something inside of creation. Aside from creating this world for us to live in, he's also wanting to show you some things about himself. So when you hear the rainstorms, when you see the sunshine, when you look at your own face in the mirror, it should make us marvel at this king of kings who's drawing us to himself to worship him because that's the kind of God that he is. It's the kind of God that we have. The next thing that the wise men saw was not as good because the next thing that they saw was a hostility Uh, or a bitterness toward God, and they see that in the person of Herod himself. Look what it says in verse three. It says, when King Herod heard this, that is that they were looking for the king of the Jews, it says that he was disturbed. And why was he disturbed? Well, because they were looking for a king. And Herod thought or saw anybody around him that might be an authority, he saw that as a potential threat to his own rule or way of life or reign. And we know that, that Herod sees it as a serious threat because look what it says a little bit later in the same chapter in verse 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Can you imagine something so horrifying? That this guy, the links that he'll go to to kill a bunch of young children because he's worried it might threaten his rule or his reign? Now most of us, uh, I think, are not overtly hostile to God, right? You're here, you're, you're listening online, so most of us aren't overtly hostile to God like that. But, but many in our culture would say that they love God, but that is unless and until him or his word or his ways threaten their way of life. And I think it plays out like this. I think it plays out by people saying things like, God, I'm fine with you, but listen, don't tell me who I can and I can't date or marry, God, don't tell me uh, what I can and I can't do with my body or my money or my time or my internet connection. And so like Herod, they become king or queen in their life and they're not willing to submit to to Jesus as king and do life on his terms. And so they do life on their own terms and they develop a hostility uh, toward God. I think for other people it comes out uh, uh, when their security or something precious to them is threatened. And so for them, it might come out that I'm fine with God um, unless and until my health fails or I lose my job or my relationships break down. And instead of choosing to love um, God and to run to him with the hurts and the pains that we have in life and celebrate him as king of king and lord of lords and find hope and encouragement and peace and, and even, yes, joy, man, they just become bitter toward God like the wise men who saw in their world, specifically in Herod, a hostility and a bitterness toward God. We see that in our own culture too, don't we? We see it all around us all the time. I mean, think about the news feeds that you see. Think about the media we see. Think about the way our culture talks about God. Think about the way politics influences that. Right, it's everywhere, this hostility toward God. But I wanna ask us a, a more personal question this morning. I wanna ask you this, what areas of your heart in life do you say God is fine here, here, and here, but not there? See, I don't think most of us are overtly hostile to God, but I think in some ways, in the ways that we live our lives, there might be parts of our life or parts of our heart where we are hostile to God. It's a good question for us all to ponder. The next thing I see kind of goes along with it, it's an indifference toward God the Messiah. Now, I don't know if they're indifferent completely, but it it feels like that a little bit to me as I look at the response of the chief priests and the scribe. Um, Look what it says, remember with me, in verse four. It says that that he, that's Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of law. He asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. It seems like that's their only response because we're not told that they went out and checked. And so it, it feels to me like there's this indifference toward God inside of their lives. Um, remember, this is a people who have been waiting for thousands of years as, uh, for the promised King and Messiah to come. This is a people who have been waiting for hundreds of years, literally, since the last words that they had, spo- they had heard spoken through the prophets. And this is a, a, a nation that's been struggling uh, under Roman rule and oppression for a really long time. And now, there's rumors that the Messiah, the king, has been born, and nobody goes to check. Nobody goes to look at it. Now, it's possible that maybe they were thinking something like, listen, if the Messiah was born, great, but at this point, he's still an infant. And what can a baby do? How powerful is a baby? And so maybe in their mind, the thought process was, you know what, I can can deal with with that later. I'll deal with the Messiah, I'll deal with, with God later. And so indifference can creep in. It creeps into our lives, too, in some different ways. For some of us, like the chief priests and the scribes, man, you're suffering. You're suffering for all kinds of of reasons, and maybe it's been that you've walked in your afflictions for so long that you've given up on the hope and the grace that God has promised to you. Is that where you're at this morning? Have you given up on the hope, of the grace that God has promised to you? Maybe because of illness or death or broken relationships or stressors of life or problems at work, problems at school, problems at home, whatever it is, maybe you're in a season right now where you're just overwhelmed. My heart hurts for you because I've been there. I've been there. Another way that indifference, though, can creep in is sometimes when life is going really well. Right. Sometimes it's, I've got a great job, uh, I've got a great family, I've got great kids, and we're busy, and the kids are involved in sports, and we're just going, 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 going. Now, hear me carefully, because those are all good things, and I'm not condemning any of those things. But sometimes, for some of us, life becomes all about those things, so much so that time for the Lord, time with his family, time with the church, time in his word, seems to go by the wayside. And so an indifference um, begins to develop in our lives. And so like the people of Jerusalem, maybe the thought is, I can deal with God later. I have some time to think about that in the future. This is also a dangerous place to be. Um, Because the reality is, is while these bodies are amazing that God made, they don't last forever. We all know that, right? None of us have any guarantees that we'll even be here tomorrow, although I hope we are. But there's no guarantees for that. And so you may not have later to deal with God. And so I just want you to think about your own life, your own thoughts, your own patterns of living. Do you see what the wise men saw in some of your own patterns? Do you find an indifference sometimes to the way you approach God? You see, sometimes I think it's not just an an outright, you know what, I'm indifferent to you, God, like I don't care about you. Maybe it's, God, I really care about you, but what I'm experiencing is so overwhelming, I just don't know how I can be free from it. That's how it's been for me in my life. Um, Years ago, when I was a young man, there was significant sin in my life, and I struggled with the same sin over and over and over and over and over again. Some of you know what that's like, and Some of these sins in particular, I just thought, there's no way that I can be free of this. I wasn't even convinced God would forgive me if I talked to him about it, so I just stuffed it and hung on to it, instead of coming to the church and coming to him and looking for hope and healing. Uh, More recently in my life, I've done that this year with my depression. I talked about earlier uh, in the sermon that I hadn't been up here for a while. And, and lots of you know this, I've talked a little bit about this, but, but not everybody here that, or that's listening um, is aware. This year has been the, one of the hardest years of my life. Um, this year I was struggling and honestly overwhelmed with this depression that just, it took over everything. Um, I had some thoughts of deep depression, sadness, anger, these things that would just come out of nowhere, and I'm like, what is going on with me? And my wife, um, who's incredible, incredible woman finally was like, honey, you need to get this dealt with. You have to deal with this. Because the depression that I was experiencing was stemmed from all kinds of pains and traumas from my childhood and from the death of my mother, stuff I had just not dealt with. And I think what was happening in my own heart and life was even though I was experiencing all of this pain going through this depression, the pain was familiar to me. And I didn't know what kind of pain I would have to walk through if I actually had to deal with it. The pain that I knew was familiar, and for some reason that was comfortable to me. And so I hung on to the pain. It says in the book of Jonah, there's this haunting verse. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit grace. Friends, in some ways, I hadn't really made it an idol. I wasn't worshiping my depression, right? But I was clinging to that which I knew, even though I knew that it was destroying me because that which was gonna come about, I was afraid, I knew there would be pain. Some of you are in that state right now. Some of you are in significant sin, and you know you've needed to deal with this for a long time, but you've been afraid. Friends, we serve a God who is eager to talk to you about that. He is eager to bring healing and hope and freedom from the sin that you're dealing with, and even forgiveness and restoration and redemption. Some of you are dealing uh, with things that I was dealing with this year, with depression or mental illness. Friends, God can and does want to deal with that for you as well. Jesus says this in John ten ten. he says, the thief comes to steal, or excuse me, the, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they have, may have life and may have it to the full. God wants you to have an abundant and full life. And he knows that when we're weighed down by sin or depression or mental illness or struggles or pains or whatever it is that's going on, you're not living life to the fullest. I know that I wasn't, um, friends. I have found, I found hope. I found healing. The things that I was clinging to was robbing me of grace that I was forfeiting, and the grace that I was forfeiting, first of all, was in this incredible woman of mine, this wife. She's so incredible. She's she's one of the most amazing people I've ever known. And when I hurt, she hurts, because that's how things work. And my wife said to me, Sean, I need you to deal with this. For you and for us as a family. Grace, I wish I could tell you in that time I had always responded to my family lovingly and gracefully and kind. I didn't. Sometimes I was just a flat-out jerk to them. And they've extended grace to me. They've forgiven me. I had my children two incredible kids that God has blessed me with. Man, I love these kids more than I can tell you, and they've walked with me in this process. They've talked with me. They've spent time with me. They've prayed for me. At least I think you have, Spencer. You've been praying? Thank you, buddy. Grace, I've also was forfeiting grace that the Lord wanted to do through our church family. We have an incredible elder team and preaching team that I'm a part of, I asked them when I started to really feel like this was coming to a head this year, do you want me to step out? Do I need to step off of these teams? And they all said to me, no. We know that you don't feel like you can be here. We know that you're feeling like you're not really contributing, but we want you to be here because, because you're part of our community. You're part of our family, and we love you. And so even though as the months ticked by, often it felt like I was sitting on the bench and way down at the end of the bench and wasn't really contributing much, God was doing something in my life through these people. He was gracious to me. He was loving me. He was restoring me. And grace, he also had grace for me inside of of you and the way that you would work in my life. I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me to hear you say things to me like, Sean, we love you. Sean, we're praying for you. Sean, I pray for you every day. Some of you sent text messages and and cards. Sometimes it was just a smile as we're passing each other in the hall here at church, or hugs, or handshakes, or whatever they was. Those were life-giving to me. This was grace that God had for me. Um... Sometimes I think we hang on to stuff because the fear of what is unknown hurts so much and so we get indifferent to God working in that part of our lives. Friends, don't do that. Please don't do that. God has so much more for you. He has so much more planned for you. He has so much more that he wants to do in your life, not only for you personally, but also for the community around you. So let him work. I know it's painful. I know it hurts. I know you'll wonder at times, is this this worth it? I know you'll think through times, should I even be doing this? My friends, the answer is yes. Yes, you should. I can't promise you that if, if or when you trust God with whatever's going on with you, that all of your problems go away. It won't go away. But what you will have is a framework and a reference for hope. You will have something you can bank on, like the candle we lit this morning, the candle of hope. You will have something that you know you can stake your life on. You will have a community of people around you. You will have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You will have hope that you know that, 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 that whatever it is, whatever's going on, either this side of heaven or when we finally get to be with Jesus one day, this will all be dealt with. So don't stay there, don't stay indifferent to what the Lord wants to do in your life. The last thing that the the wise men see is a king to be worshiped with joy. These men traveled maybe as much as 900 miles of this journey. Um, It took months, maybe even longer than a year for them to get there. For us, a 900 mile journey would be a lot in a car right? It would be a a, a trek. These guys did this, I'm guessing, on camel or horseback or something. It was a long, long time. But after months of their journey, when they finally get to Jerusalem, look what it says. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Some translations say that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like four times the joy. These guys are so excited because they finally found the king to worship. It says in verse 11, when they find him, they bow down and they worship him. The reality is, friends, that Jesus is the one true God and King, and He is the King to be worshiped, and we should worship Him with joy. I want to read a few statements here, and I just want you to think about them. They're statements about God. Think about what I'm saying about God right now. God is powerful enough to speak creation into existence. God is loving enough to not leave us stuck in our sin. God is humble enough to come to earth and be born as an infant in some tiny village in some nowhere place on earth. God is faithful enough to live a perfect, sinless life, one that none of us could ever live. God is supreme enough to allow himself to be killed and then raise himself from the grave three days later. Don't miss this next one. God is reliable enough to make every single one of his promises to his people come true. God is personally loving enough to choose to put his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who will choose to follow him. And so friends, this year, uh, as we celebrate the incarnation of Christ, his coming to earth, initially as a baby, is the declaration that all of the effects of sin have been dealt with. The incarnation is just, just that God came to earth and be, was born as a human. It is the uh, declaration that all of the effects of sin are dealt with. His death, burial, resurrection, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit for those who love and follow and trust and serve him mean that we can have hope in this life. But the world around us doesn't always feel like that, does it? And I want to take a look at this song really quick. I'll invite the worship team now at this point too. But this song is by this guy called Bruno Major. And um, my son brought this song to me. We love music in our family. We talk about music all the time. And my son brought this song to me. He said, Dad, check out this song. And, and honestly, it's a sad song because it's a song about this guy losing his faith. Look at what the lyrics say. He says, but what if the world is a hopeless place? We're just scared to admit we're alone. What if the world is a hopeless place and we're on our own? We're on our own. There's beauty in nature and parables from kingdoms we knew. I'm not not expecting much after I'll make the most of my dues. Look what he says next. He says, because I believe he's just a story, and I'm looking for the truth. I have faith in my own journey with those I love to help me through, because I know the world is a beautiful place, too full of love to be alone. I know the world is a beautiful place, but we're on our own. We're on our own. Grace, do you ever feel like that? Yes, I have felt that way this year. There's been moments that i felt like I'm on my own, like we're all on our own. But friends, I'm here to tell you that, that that's not truth. Because the truth is, is Jesus is not just a story. The truth is is that Jesus has used and is using his Holy Spirit, he's used counseling in my heart and life, he's used my family, and he's using you to make differences and changes in my life, to restore me to to hope and healing and all of these amazing great things that we get to have in Christ. And the invitation is is for you as well, because he's not just a story, he really came 2,000 years ago. Friends, he really is coming back one day for us, and at this very moment, he is at the right hand of God the Father, and he is intercessing, pleading on our behalf. Friends, that's something to be excited about. It's something that we can celebrate. And so I want to sing a different song, not one about hopelessness or or losing our hope, but this is a song that we've sung here before. It's called Come to Save Us. And it's a song that reminds us that that we are not alone, that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he really did come to save us. So as you sing this now, just let the words of Jesus um, be reminded of the things he wants to have in your life. Things like I've come to give you life and so that you can have it abundantly. Think about Christmas time. Think about all of the things that that means for our life and enjoy worshiping him now. A couple things, Grace. We're ending about, we're early, I guess I preached really fast. Uh, anyway, we're ending about 10, 10 minutes early, so for those of you that have kids in the children's ministry, if you want to just hang out, enjoy some time with each other, give them a few minutes to finish up what they're doing, that would be awesome. Also, we have uh, three services Christmas Eve, I want to remind you about, 3, four thirty, and 6, we would love to see you there. Um, but I just want to pray God's blessing over you, so bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, I thank you for your goodness, Lord, I thank you for your grace to us, Father. I pray that, God, you would help all of us, um, God, to see those parts of our hearts and lives that we're holding back from you, that, God, we may be hostile or bitter or indifferent to you. Father, I pray you would remind us um, this week, even, as, as we go about our days, when we look at your creation around us, God, cause us to think about you, Father, I pray that that, that for my friends here, um, and myself included, God, that, that Lord, we would be a people that would see these things, and God, we would be, uh, God, just overwhelmed by by all that you are. And Father, we thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one to be worshipped. We thank you for that. God, I pray that that would be more real to us this Christmas season than maybe it's ever been before. I love you, Lord. I thank you for uh, this incredible church you've blessed us with. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, I love you too. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.